Here's Rasmus Dahlin below the goal line of the Buffalo end. From the corner up ahead to Tage Thompson. Great pass for Dylan Cousins. Walks in. Scores! The workhorse from Whitehorse down the right side. Rips it home. And the Sabres take a 6-4 lead here in the third period. Welcome back here to WGR. No one bills live today. That was one of Dylan Cousins' goals from last night as the Buffalo Sabres take down the Detroit Red Wings 7-6 in a shootout. Devin Levi, very, very good in overtime and, of course, the shootout as well. No one bills live today, as I said. Due to Easter weekend, today is Good Friday, Easter Sunday coming up this Sunday. Happy holidays to all. Zach Jones along with you for the next two hours as we get ready for Shopin' the Bulldog starting at 3 o'clock. I do want to talk a lot about the Sabres today. We'll talk as well about the Bills. I, I you know, want to jump to the draft and, and stuff like that, but the Sabres season as a whole, I, they're not officially out of the playoffs, but we do have a scenario on Saturday that could see them officially out of the playoffs, and that is essentially if Florida or the Islanders win in any way and the Sabres lose in regulation to Carolina tomorrow afternoon, it's done. The season is over with. Right now they have a 0.8% chance to make it, and even then they do have maybe the hardest schedule of the two teams they're chasing, being Florida and the Islanders. They have to play, of course, Carolina on Saturday, and then they do have games against the Rangers and New Jersey, who all three of those teams are playing very much for seeding in the metropolitan region of the East. It is going to be a slog, I think, just to get through the season, even if it were you know, a real potential for these guys to make the playoffs. I even still think it was going to be very, very difficult. They needed that win on Tuesday, and they were not able to get it. But I want to look more positively at the Sabres, and I'm glad that they won last night because it makes it way easier. I was I was very much kind of sweating out overtime because I was like, I want to talk kindly about the Sabres, but if you lose, it's way harder to do that after they've lost twice in, you know, crucial games or, you know, meaningful games in April. I know we've been throwing that around here. But they won last night in a shootout. The games with Detroit, by the way, have been a ton of fun. High scoring, a lot of crazy chances. Tate Thompson and Dylan Cousins seems to do their best work against the Red Wings, which is good to see as they're one of the young teams in the East. One of the young teams that I want to talk about today as well in comparison to the Sabres. But just, you know, I'm going to look back at this year, not negatively. There were moments this season where it was not as good as it could have been, that that they that this team missed out on opportunities that I think they should have been able to grab onto. But looking back at where I thought this team should be in, you know, October, November, the start of the season, I just wanted them to be in a playoff race. I just wanted the season to feel meaningful and and to want to check into games in March, in April, rather than just due to obligation because I like the team and I cover them, but because, hey, they're in a race here, every game feels important. And they did that. Are they going to break the drought? Probably not. But they did do that with the youngest team in the NHL. And a team that, in all likelihood, will probably become younger next year. Just due to guys like Kyle Oposo, Zemgus Gergensen, Craig Anderson, potentially not being on this team next year. There's a really good chance that they're even younger on average age than they were this year. Which, to me, is just it's mind-boggling to think that way. But they are a young, very talented group. And just looking at, you know, some of the big developments this year. Just yeah, I, I listed a few before 
we started up the show today, and just, and just one of them, of course, my favorite player personally, so there's a bit of bias here, but Dylan Cousins has blossomed into a rising star in the NHL. 31 goals so far, 66 points. He's got his seven-year contract. He is going to be with the Sabres for the long run. He is. He feels like you could just put him in pen as the second-line center for the Buffalo Sabres when they are in the playoffs, when they are hopefully making cup runs. He feels like just easily, boom, Thompson won, Cousins two, let's move forward. And speaking of Thompson, going into this year, I think a lot of us remember when he did sign that that seven-year extension, there was still that fear of, ooh, was this a bit premature? Did we jump the gun just a tad here? Is he really what you want him to be? Is he that one center that you were hoping for? Because he did kind of come out of nowhere last year. That is absolutely a fact. I will not judge anyone for being very apprehensive at that contract. You just look at the stats before that. He had never put up a double-digit goal season. Then all of a sudden he has 38, 68 points total last year. And then they paid him the big bucks going into this year. And there was that feeling of, I'm, I'm okay with it. You know, He's 24 years old. Maybe he's figured it out. They moved the positions. And, and, and there, was, there was clear signs that, okay, he, he's arrived. He, like, he is very, very good. This year, though. He's dealt with injuries. He's dealt with you know little knocks here and there, and, and it's kind of thrown his game off just a tad at times. But even still, through 74 games played, 45 goals, and 92 points, he has done everything and more that you could have asked for for your first-line center, especially as he's kind of developing his own game. He is still getting his legs underneath him in the NHL. I know it sounds weird for a 25-year-old, but he just... Changing the position, obviously now, you know, really the second full year of Granado being the head coach, and now you're really starting to see that player. I absolutely expect him to be as good, if not better, next year. Rasmus Dahlin, he, he's he's a tougher one to stay positive with the entire time. He has had moments where he was both injured and and the Norris caliber play kind of dipped a bit, but even still, he you know right now is at 69 points. Still the team's best defenseman, and you're going to have him partnered up or you know in the same room with him. Guys like Owen Power, Matias Samuelson. I even you know Henry Okiharu. I, I I don't dislike. I think is a lot like a lot of Sabres fans seem to do. I I think he is one of the core four for that defensive pairings. I think they just got to add a few more pieces here and there. Really sure up that third that third pair. I think that's the one where they had issues with for much of this year. And of course, they do play a very aggressive style of hockey, so that was also something they were going to have to deal with. And then maybe the most surprising bit of this year, maybe for me at least, is sort of the emergence of that first line, the wingers, Alex Tuck and Jeff Skinner. Both of them are sitting on 73 points. But Tuck went from a guy that I was hoping maybe could be a 30-goal scorer, maybe more of an assist guy, and maybe just, again, you know, kind of see where it goes. He's at, what, at 35, 36 goals? He's been a monster. And when he went out, you saw how different that offense was and how much they were struggling without him. And then, of course, Jeff Skinner reemerged into that 40-goal score we saw from a few years ago. Very, very good playmaker as well. And really, has he, he, to me, he is one of the best veteran leaders on the team. Of course, I, I like guys like Kyle Oposo and Zemkis Gergensen's, but there is a, a point where to be a leader and the, and the playability, there has, to, there has to be that fine level, and I just don't think those two have it. Where Jeff Skinner, I think, does, where he can be a leader, and you can also expect that in the big moments he can show up. Where with you know Oposo, Age, Gergensen's, I think to a certain extent talent, they're not totally able to. And then finally, Devin Levi. 
I mean, for a lot of us, he has been the big reason why we're even turning on games to end this year, especially with the playoff streak or the, the playoff drought likely going to continue on and a number of losing streaks here this year that has really hampered the ability of this team. But now, with the emergence of Devin Levi, or I wouldn't even say the emergence, just the arrival of him between the pipes has been a revelation, I think, for a lot of us. Last night was not his best game. But in the moments when you needed him to show up in overtime and in the shootout, he was spectacular. And again, and I said this on Tuesday night, and I and I kind of felt the same way about it last night going into overtime and the shootout. I shouldn't be this comfortable watching a 21-year-old in what was then his third start in the NHL. I'm going to the game on Saturday. I, a part of me is really thinking that I'm going to see him play, that he's going to get four straight games in net. And a part of me is just, why not? Why not keep playing the kid? Just see what he's got. Just keep going. It's only going to give him more development and more experience. He is going to continue to see these really, really good teams throw everything at him because that's what he's going to get is that Carolina, Jersey, and the Rangers are playing for keeps here. They want to better their position. This is not like the Atlantic where it's all but written in December. You know, they are trying to figure out, are you going to play, the, you know, are, are Jersey and the Devils going to play each other? What's Carolina doing? Are they playing a wild card team? Like, there, there's all of that going on. So he is going to get a lot thrown at him. And I think he has got the temperament to deal with it. I really, really do. I like what he is bringing. I do want this team to add just a little bit in the goaltender room just because he is 21 years old. There is a small sample size here, and I just don't totally believe that he will go through next year with zero blemishes. That It will just be sunshine and rainbows. He's the next Hasek and Miller, and you, you, could, just, you could already start raising the banner. All right, I, 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 just, I cannot get there yet. It'll take a few years for me. But on that end, I think there is a perfect person to bring in to not just mentor Levi, but to be sort of that bridge slash pretty good backup for him. And that would be Semyon Varlamov from the Islanders. It's going to be 35. You've got money in the bank. You can spend a little bit, especially on a position like goaltender, in which you do need to get better there. You really, really do. There's a reason why we were all so excited to see a 21-year-old out of college go right into the net for an NHL game in very, very important games for the Sabres. It was because Comrie and UPL just were not doing it. And, and Anderson, Ottawa was great. Now he's just old. His body just cannot hold up. But there was a reason why we were all so excited to see Levi. And that's the reason is that the other two just were not getting it done. So you add a little bit here, probably add another defenseman as well, and you, and, you, and you get ready for next year. I really love this team for next year. I really, really do. Now they've gotten a taste, because not all development and not all experiences have to be good for you to learn from them. This team now knows what can happen if you don't get ready for a player to get hurt, if you're not prepared, if you're not willing to step up, or if you're unable to step up. Look at Samuelson, eight-game losing streak. With Tuck, a big losing streak. They kind of figured it out when Thompson was hurt. They were able to win some of these games. Now they've also played in meaningful late-season games. They've been in a playoff race. And now they're going to know, not officially, but they're going to know how bad it stings when you fail, when you falter right at the, right at the line. They're going to know now. 
And I think as well, if you bring in Varlamov and you have Levi here next year, they're going to immediately have a better goaltending room than they did this year and the year prior. This team should be in the playoffs. I don't disagree with that point, and if, and if that's your point, I don't disagree. I think goaltending and, to a certain extent, defensive structure really hurt this team. But I love, 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 love their chances for next year. I really, really do. I do want to hear from you at 803-0550. No guests today. It's all callers. I just want to hear from you guys. What are your big takeaways from this season? As, you know, we've, we've still got, I think, five games left. It's not officially over with, but... You know, in a broad sense, how are you feeling with this team going forward? Did this team meet your expectations? Or were you expecting a bit more? I, you know, I think I'll, I can agree on most things. Just don't ask for Granado's head. I'm willing to hear it if you, if you want to say it, but I think it's the one thing I'm just, I'm not there yet. Granado and Adams, I, I love what they're building, but I want to hear from you guys. 803 0550. We're taking your calls. But for me, at least, my favorite point of this season was the fact that back in October, November, before the season was starting, you look at any sort of who could be a dark horse playoff team and, and who are the rising teams. It might not make it this year, but in the next few years, they're on the rise, they're coming, the whole thing. You look at the East, it was the same three teams. Detroit, Ottawa, and Buffalo. The difference was, though, from then to now, is that almost unanimously... Detroit and Ottawa were perceived as better than Buffalo. With Buffalo, remember, a lot of it too was, you know, Tage Thompson, is he just a goal scorer? Is he an all-around player? What does he have there? Cousins really hadn't developed into what we're seeing now. Tuck was kind of an unknown. You knew who Skinner was, but, you know, at that point he was just, you know, a guy that did score 40 goals a few years ago, but not really much else. There wasn't a ton there, and I can understand why. Like, you knew the potential was there, but in terms of actual players on the roster already, there wasn't a ton of for just, you know, average fans or outside fans to grab onto yet. Now there really, really is. And for me, that is the biggest takeaway, is that at this point, or excuse me, in October, November of next year, when we're starting next season, depending on how free agency goes and, and stuff like that and who actually makes the roster, because, of course, Yui Krulich and Matthew Savoy could absolutely make the Sabres roster, and, and you know we have to see if Devin Levi still makes it. And, of course, who, you know if any, the Sabres bring in for free agency or a trade. But if you're asking people right now, rank those three teams in, in terms of their potential going forward, I would imagine a lot of neutral you know, national people are going to pick Buffalo over those two other teams and that they will be first out of three. There is so much talent here. There is so much talent. I am at a point now, I am more excited for this current Sabres team than I ever were for the current Bills team. And when I say that, I'm not I'm not trashing the Bills. What I'm saying is that I didn't totally believe if the Bills were ever going to win a Super Bowl compared to the Chiefs until 13 seconds. I was never for sure if they were actually going to beat the Chiefs. I just didn't know. There was a defensive coach. I hadn't seen Allen beat Mahomes yet. Really, I hadn't even seen totally, up until that playoff run, a great playoff game from Allen yet. It was, it was kind of up and down. You knew that there was potential there, but a lot of it, it felt like you're going to have to to figure it out here. You're going to have to you know, see what can happen, maybe get lucky a little bit. With this Sabres group, in three, four, five years, 
I will be surprised by nothing from them. They are that talented. I am just excited to to be on this ride. I am thrilled. Tage Thompson being the first player to hit 90 points on the Sabres since Danny Briere. And then you have a guy like you know Devin Levi coming in, one of the best college goalies of all time, just save percentage-wise. He's coming in and looks exactly the part. Doesn't feel like there was a miscue at all. Had a rough game last night against Detroit, but a lot of them were kind of fluky goals, bad bounces, bad puck luck, the whole thing. And again, as, as I mentioned, in overtime in the shootout, he showed up exactly when he needed him to, to will that team to a win. And then, of course, you still have young players like Jack Quinn and J.J. Paterka. Quinn, who through a lot of the second half of this season, has shown just how impactful he can be when he gets going, when that when he has confidence in that shot. I'd even bring up Casey Middlestad, who is someone I joke about constantly about his trade value rising. That's technically true. But as a playmaker, he has developed so beautifully, hitting 50 points as essentially a third or fourth line center. And a lot of it comes when they picked up Tyson Jost off of waivers. But he's now gotten to a point that if you really want to trade Casey Middlestad, if you are still on that train, you're probably getting a pretty good piece for him. It's not just a, just get him off the roster, I don't care what we get for him. You're probably thinking now, mm, if I trade Savoy, I better get a really, really good defenseman. Or I better get a 30, you know, a potential 30 goal scoring winger. Not some, you know, just whatever piece. He's going to go sit in Rochester. We hope he develops into, you know, a top nine forward, whatever. Like, we'll see what happens. But that, to me, has been the biggest sign of positivity that I can take from the season. I know the drought is still going, but I am just, I'm loving the potential because it seemed like every single person of real consequence, was taking a step forward. Let's get to some calls. We have Tom joining the show. Tom, how you doing, my man? Tom, do we have you? Yeah. Oh, Tom, how we doing, my guy? Hello? Yep, we got you. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Oh, no worries. I'm actually driving, and I'm coming from North Carolina to New York. So how's, how was how's the weather in North wait. Carolina? About better than this. Ah, I, I knew it. I, I had to hear it, but I knew it. Pretty nice. Yeah, yesterday, uh, I teach PE, so I was outside all day, and it was 80 degrees, and have a little bit of a tan, so it was kind of nice, man. I'm very but jealous. Anyway, just, um, no, just know I'm very, very jealous. <laughs> but anyway, man, I did want to talk to the Sabres. Uh, I think it's been a great year. Um, I agree with pretty much everything you're saying about um, what we've done this year and what we could do next year. But... Uh, uh, I like the Varlamov idea, but I like I don't I don't think that should be our number one priority. I think if we get a top top four defenseman, if we had one this year, we would have never had those eight game losing streak, and mm-hmm. then we lost uh, nine out of twelve. It's just because when you lose Samuelson and you have to depend on bad defensemen to play big minutes and big roles, that's why you had these lulls. And we cannot have that. We cannot be losing to bottom feeder teams. We cannot afford to go on an eight-game stretch and get zero out of 16 total points. Mm-hmm. And then also, I wanted to see, I think, I don't know if it was you or uh, Joe that said you kind of penciled in Savoy on our team next year. And I, I'm just, like, so big on this kid. I think he's got terrific potential, not only the talent, but put him with Renato, oh my god. 
But I, I think not only he's a candidate for us next year, but I don't think it's too far off to say that he could be a top a top six guy. Mm-hmm. Tom, thanks for the call, man. I'm loving what you're saying. I think that was Joe. He's he's typically the person that does the the mock Sabres lineup. So I think it was Joe, but I'm not 100 percent sure. I do love what you said though. There, where the idea of just putting Savoy with Granado, like that is so fun. At the it, like it just it, like hear me out. The reason why like I love hearing that is the idea that you have in uh, in fans' minds such a good coach at developing young talent. That the idea of you being like, yeah, we put this guy who's been dominating juniors, by the way, you put him with Granado, and I and I agree with you. I think there's a real chance that he is a top six guy. I mean, like, like that's the thing. Like, there is so much forward talent though, on this team. I do think we are going to have to say goodbye to a few of them just because these guys are going to want their own careers. Like, they're going to want to play real serious minutes in the NHL, and I think a lot of them have the talent to do so. I think right now the two that are clearly above the rest, at least a little bit. Yuri Kulich, who's had a very, very good year in Rochester. He also had a very good World Juniors with Chechia. And then, of course, Matthew Savoy in Juniors. It's just, there's so much talent here. And and I love everything that's going on. I do agree on your point, though. I mean, like you need to shore up that defense so much better. Matias Samuelson, I will tell you, though, in, at least in my mind, I don't know about, about your guys', but for me, I knew Matias Samuelson was good. He brought a calming presence last year to the defense, and I, and I like that about him. But they signed him, and I went, okay, good. Like, like he's not really going to be a point machine guy, but, he, but he's that good, solid defenseman that every team needs. I did not realize how valuable he was to this team until that eight-game losing streak. Because truly, he went out, and they just they fell apart. They really, really did. They started off hot, and that really made the season feel like a chase more than just kind of, you know, kind of what New Jersey's going through now, where they are just full steam ahead, Guys are, are taking these big jumps that, you, that you're seeing. I mean, you know, of course, Jack Hughes is now, I think he's like, I think a point away from the highest total ever by a New Jersey Devil in a season. So, I mean, like, you know, kudos to him, all that stuff. But, you know, they go and get a team Omeyer because they're in that window now. And the goaltending for me would always limit what this team could be, at least this year. But maybe if you did have that one more surefire defenseman that dug in, does not necessarily need to be that point guy that, you know, an Owen Powers becoming, that Darlene is. But someone like a Samuelson that just, you plug him in and he does the work. He clears the puck, keeps possession, the whole thing. Maybe that is really what this team needs now that I think you, you have potentially the goaltender for the next 10 years. I want to add just that one more guy. I've brought up Varlamov from the Islanders. He's going to be a UFA this year. Bring him in and start kind of pushing this team forward because I think next year they should be into that New Jersey Devils sort of sort of mold. And, and, they, and just push him forward and let's see what can happen. I'm really, really liking what this team can be. They just just need that little bit more. That little bit more outside of getting older, of course that I really like what they can be. We're going to take a quick time out. We're going to keep taking your calls at 803-0550. You want to talk Sabres? I kind of want to talk about what, what, how were how you feeling after this whole season? What you know were your expectations coming in? Have they been met? And what do you want to see this team going forward? And we'll also take your calls on the Bills. We do want to hit a little bit of the draft coming up later, but we'll take a quick time out. You're listening to WGR. You've had two out of three losing seasons. Can Bill Belichick survive another one or will he be here to catch and surpass Don Shula for the all-time wins record? Robert Kraft's response 
wasn't, yes, he'll be here. He waded into this notion that, well, we want our players to accumulate great statistics, but ultimately we're here to win football games, and I want to get back to the playoffs. And it felt to me like one of those situations where anything other than yes is no. Oh, Mike Florio on the Patriots. No one bills live today, thanks to Easter weekend. Zach Jones along with you, just hanging out, you know, they didn't lock the doors, so I thought I'd come in and just, you know, talk for a little bit. They never seem to lock the doors for me, so I don't know. We'll see what happens. But, oh, Mike Florio on the Patriots. I heard Joe talking a lot about this on the Extra Point show today, so I, I kind of want to give my sense now. But, like, this is such a weird dynamic. I Like, you hire – I'm talking about Bill Belichick when I say this. You hire a defensive coordinator to be an offensive coordinator. He's never done it before in his life, and Matt Patricia – and then you get mad at your second-year quarterback, allegedly, reportedly, because he decided to go get outside help trying to understand what the hell Matt Patricia was trying to have him do. I just, it seems, it, it is. It is completely out of touch. And I just, I'm at a point now with the Patriots. I know some people still fear them, the, the idea of Belichick and, and all he and all the trauma he's caused us. Believe me, I'm 24 years old. That is all I know outside of like the last four or five years. I know Patriot dominance and Bill Belichick being the greatest. I get it. But the last few years and the years preceding Brady kind of show you that he's a great defensive coach. He really understands that side of the ball. But on the offensive side, at definitely recently, he has been unable to evolve, to adapt with the league. And it kind of even shows with who he picked at quarterback, Mac Jones. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I, I can't take a guy like a Mac Jones because there is just zero ceiling. I can't do it. That's where I do like a player like an Anthony Richardson this year out of Florida because it is all ceiling that you have to trust yourself. You can coach this guy up and get him to their full potential. Now on this point, I heard Joe today on the extra point show, bring up the idea that maybe the Patriots could be in on Anthony Richardson. And I'll say right now, his career is dead on arrival. If, if that's where he goes, because well, unless then if Belichick retires, I don't even think it matters then. I like at that point it is just going to he gets there. He's in an old system with a bunch of guys who just go back to each other. There's there's really no differences there. Josh McDaniels and I don't really like Josh McDaniels very much. He's the only guy on that coaching staff that seems to innovate. That seems to continue to think forward and he's gone. He's in Vegas for however long that lasts and I don't, maybe there's still that feeling that if Belichick retires, he'll just go back to New England and be the Patriots head coach. I don't know. But if, if Belichick drafts Anthony Richardson, if, if he is somehow able to, if he drafts or if he trades up, whatever happens, and he gets Richardson, his that poor guy's career is dead on arrival. Because I we all know this now. Like, like This is a talking point. The most important thing for any guy drafted is where they end up. Yes, you can work hard. Yes, you can be an absolute machine in the film room. But if you go to a tire fire of an organization or an organization that just simply put does not know how to use you, you will fail. And it's not your fault. A lot of the times, it, you know, for some of these guys, it can be their fault. They're not hard workers. They're not willing to adapt and change and, and develop. But for a lot of these guys, 
it becomes a where did you end up scenario. And if Richardson ends up in New England with Bill Belichick and Bill O'Brien, I feel so bad for him. I won't even sit here as a Bills fan going, oh no, they got Richardson. I'll just be like, that sucks. I feel so bad for him. Like, that's it. That's over with. Because who has he developed on the offensive side of the ball? What has he shown that he's able to do anything on offense outside of just, hey, Tom, uh, go out there. Uh, We gave you a bunch of just slot receivers. Just go do work. And he's like, awesome, got it. I'll do what I can. And he's good at it. He was great at it. I mean, Brady is, to me, I've gotten to a point with Brady is he was in the perfect area of football where, number one, he was great. He has one of the fastest processors, if not the fastest of all time. He was just able to get stuff done so, so quickly. That's what made him dangerous. But when he got into the league, the rules were starting to change. And it became a much more offensive-based league. So a guy who already took care of himself and was already very good at at, at hitting routes and hitting receivers as quickly as possible was able to have this long career. Where before, quarterbacks like him, eh, they got hit. Joe Montana, Jim Kelly, Dan Marino, they really couldn't move. They got hit. They had fast processors. They knew exactly where receivers were going to be and where they were going to break every single time. Brady was that. But he came into the league when the rules were changing. And then he got the added bonus that he was a part of the worst division in maybe NFL history with the AFC East of the early 2000s into like the 20, into like 2015, 2016. It was the worst division in football ever. I mean, you truly look at three teams who could never make a right decision ever. A few of them, Miami and, and New York to be specific, had a few good years here. But at best, the quarterbacks were Chad Pennington and Mark Sanchez and a year of Brett Favre. The Bills had moments where they could beat Brady or maybe even keep up with them with Ryan Fitzpatrick or making the playoffs with Tyrod Taylor. But there was never a fear there. And that happens because they lose the Colts to the division. The AFC East goes from five teams to four because we, you know, added in the Houston Texans and the Jaguars and there was and, and Carolina as well was added. So like, you know, they had to re- reestablish divisions and Indy goes to the AFC South, which still boggles my mind. I don't know how it was in Miami. We're going to move past it. But I mean, that's what allowed for so much so much dominance. He is a very very if not great defensive coach. But at this point now, he is just not that And if he gets a guy like Anthony Richardson, that poor guy's career is gone and dusted. It is over with. The Patriots, to me now, are just this middling team. They're going to be there. As long as Bill Belichick's there, you're going to, of course, have people talking about him wanting to beat Don Shula for the all-time win record, and, and, and good for him, and try to do it. But in terms of competing for Super Bowls, in terms of competing in the AFC, that period is done. It's over with. And I thought we were kind of there already, but like they're still in the... They're still in the ears of a lot of NFL fans and and media people that like they're still there. They're still doing stuff, and I just I I can't get to a point where I fear the Patriots anymore. I just cannot. Even if they wound up with somebody like Lamar Jackson, who I'm very high on, and I and I want teams like Atlanta to really make a push for him. And I've even brought up that the Jets should be all in on him and not Aaron Rodgers. If he if he went to New England, they he would just be Baltimore. That's, he would just be Baltimore Lamar Jackson, still held back by his franchise, still held back by the offense, and not really going any further. It'd be a bit better with Bill O'Brien. I do like him as a play caller. But with Belichick as head coach, it's still just they're still just going to be so log-jammed into where they are. 
I think New England is best served to move off from Bill Belichick. His his legacy has already taken a bit of a hit. Whether that's fair or not, it has. But it can somewhat be salvaged. Just retire, maybe go to another team. You didn't get the all-time win record, but you have so many Super Bowl appearances and wins. And you can retire and let a few of us talk about how it was all Brady. You know, Belichick won't care. But right now, it, just, it feels like they're completely lost. And they're just going to be kind of what Pittsburgh is now, too, where it's just they're going to be like eight and nine wins every single year. Just good enough to not be in the, in the big quarterback sweepstakes, but you know, not good enough to really make the playoffs. And if they do, they're just going to get steamrolled by some of the, the really, really good teams in the AFC. And you look at next year's class, too, of quarterbacks. I think next year's quarterback class is going to kind of hold back some teams from drafting a quarterback this year. Because of the abilities of a Caleb Williams out of USC and a Drake May out of North Carolina. That class is so talented. And yet, the Patriots really won't be there to draft anyone. At least right now. They're perceived right now. They could be a complete tire fire next year. But that would be kind of shocking. They feel like a middling team that really is just, eh. They're just there. I would be surprised if they were a complete disaster. I'd be equally surprised if they were a 11, 12, 13 win team. Just I'm so I'm so interested in the Patriots though. Just kind of watching this collapse. Every great team falls apart. I mean, like there are series upon series on YouTube you can watch of like any team in any sports league that just dynasties fall. That is that is what happened. Empires crumble. But every time, no matter what it is, I just I am thoroughly engrossed in just watching it happen, watching it live, maybe like checking the points in which, you know, oh, that's going to be important. That, you know, years down the road, that's going to be important. And Joe brought up that like spiritually, you know, the dynasty ended or, or realistically the dynasty ended when Brady left. And now this is more of a spiritual exit. I would agree with that point. I, I, I think that is absolutely correct in, in every way that now it's just more, we're in the falling action of a book. I mean, that's in, in a movie We're we're just kind of in the epilogue. We're seeing the end and that's it. Thank, thank goodness. I'm, thank goodness. They're like the worst Boston sports team now, and it's it's so nice. It's so nice. Well, maybe the Red Sox. Maybe the Red Sox. It's between the two, which I'm okay with either one. Going back to the Sabres, though, real quick. Josh Schmidt, who sometimes is on our station as well, he was on Sports Talk Saturday last week, uh, texted in and said, Ryan Johnson, one of the Sabres prospects, really, really could be one of these top four defensemen more defensive defensemen that the Sabres could be looking for in a few years. And right now it just could be get a guy that could just kind of fill that role for a few years and just to kind of steady the ship a little bit. He's going to be coming, put him in Rochester and, you know, let's see what happens. And I think, and I think this, this coaching staff does like putting guys into Rochester, see what they can do. And not really, you know, force them to be great. It, you know, really, I'm thinking it's it's honestly just Levi. But this is where I do like Matt Dumba out of Minnesota. He's I think going to be a UFA this year. He I think would be a great sort of stopgap going into potentially a Ryan Johnson, you know, era. I, I you know he's not going to be you know that focal of a piece. But you know when he's good enough to come in, Dumba can be that guy that just you know steady the ship. You know, keep working with these young guys we have now who are eventually going to you know develop into their primes. He's 28 years old, going to be 29. You know, he's the perfect age I think for this team because you don't want to be you know ridiculously young at defense. I'd actually prefer if they weren't. I'd prefer if they got a few older guys there just to really again steady the ship. And that's 
I think that'd be a really, really good move for the Sabres. We are still taking your calls at 803-0550. Let's go to the phones real quick. We've got Mike in Williamsport. Mike, how are we doing, my man? Mike, do we got you? Yep, I'm, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing all right. The weather looks okay outside. It's a little cold, though. Right, yeah. Um, I, here I thought it was one Bills Live, but I'll talk to you. Um, that's all right. No, that's all right. I get it. You're just as good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I want to talk about uh, Stefan Diggs and Bill's Mafia. They're so hard on him, and they're they're calling him a like like they're 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 calling him a cancer in the locker room, and I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a big part of our offense, and he's a dog. And you know, the Mafia members need to realize he restructured his contract just to be with Josh Allen. He's a dog. He's a competitor. He was upset over what happened in the divisional game against the Bengals. But, you know, that's natural. Like He's a competitor, he, yeah. I mean, like you said, like he's a dog. You know, he's got that competitor in him. Right, yeah. Um, but the, yeah, there's people saying trade him and stuff like that. I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Mike, absolutely. Thanks for the call. And and I agree. And, and and you're right. I mean, there's been a segment of Bill's Mafia who's definitely been hard on him. I think a lot of the a lot of the discourse I think around Stefan Diggs, though, is the fact that he is an absolute troll artist when it comes to Twitter. I mean, I I think that's a lot of it, is that he will just kind of tweet random things with maybe if you look at it in a context of he's mad in Buffalo, you'll get upset. But that he's a wide receiver and he enjoys the attention. Like I like you know that's where a lot of it is coming from. Is that people are are afraid that he is going to want a trade out. Ultimately, though, contractually, it wouldn't have made sense. It, it'd have been too much dead cap money for the Bills to to you know trade him to any other franchise unless they were willing to take in the entire contract, which I can't imagine they would. And it just financially would not have made any sense at all. And again, his his career is also flourished. In Buffalo, he's mad that he keeps that we keep losing in the playoffs. I can understand that one. I'm furious that we keep losing in the playoffs, and I don't even play for the team. I'm just a fan. But I, I think a lot of it comes from the fact that Diggs likes to have a lot of fun on social media. He likes to kind of push people's buttons. He loves the attention that you know him just tweeting on a simple like it's just business, not personal, and just watching everyone lose their collective minds is a blast for him. And as someone that enjoys that chaotic element two wide receivers it's my favorite aspect about all of the guys that play that position i just laugh at it i have fun with it i i said this you know sort of as a joke but in, in part it's probably true at least to a certain extent when he tweeted out that whole like it's nothing personal it's just business the man was probably canceling a grub hum order and not like actually you know talking about like i've talked to the gm i want out but a lot of this also comes from the fact that a lot of pro athletes do still use their social media accounts for just, you know, average fun. Like, they use it how we use it. Look at DeAndre Hopkins with, the, with what, the Buffalo Soldier song? Dude probably didn't realize, like, I'm going to have Buffalo in a frenzy thinking that I'm going to get traded to them until, like, two days later when he's like, man, like, Buffalo's talking about me a lot, aren't they? It happens. It is what it is. It kind of keeps the offseason fun, though. But, you know, come August, come training camp. Bill's Mafia is going to get completely around Stephon Diggs. He has done, truthfully to me, nothing really wrong. I would have liked him to have handled himself a bit better after the divisional round with him not wanting to speak to the media and leaving and stuff like that. But you have other stuff, too, where like when DeMar Hamlin was at the hospital after his incident against Cincinnati, 
he got into an Uber just to go to the hospital to see him. I, like he is a wonderful teammate. He is not a cancer in the locker room. Even that stuff in in Minnesota was kind of a, not a lie, just not really true at all. He's been one of the best teammates the Bills have on this roster, and he's he, you're, you know Mike, you're absolutely correct. He is a focal point of this offense, and. Look, we're looking for receivers even with Diggs. I can't imagine where mentally I'd be if Diggs just was not on the Bills and that was the receiver room we have. I'd be losing my mind. We're going to take a quick timeout. Still taking your calls. Lines are open at 803-0550. You want to talk a little Sabres, talk a little Bills, talk a little draft. The Masters as well going on. And if you don't know, after finishing his round at a 5-under, Brooks Kepka leads the way. We do have Tiger Woods on the course as well as Victor Hovland and John Rahm. Take a quick timeout. Again, taking your calls at 803-0550. One Bills Live has the day off. I'm Zach Jones, and you're listening to WGR. Our leader chance to extend that lead. This for Eagle. Pretty level putt right there. And once again, putt made. Three under and par fives. Ten under for the tournament. Three clear. Brooks Kepka eagle putt from earlier today. He's now 12 under. Finished up his round shooting five under. Having a very, very good, I mean, first two days so far. Coming in healthy. Good for him. I'm on Victor Hovland. He just parred one. I don't even know what hole they're on. I think they're on three or four, and I was not happy. But we're back. No one bills live today. Zach Jones along with you for another hour or so. We get ready for Shelton Bulldog coming up at three. I'm done with Star Wars. I got to throw this in real quick. I am absolutely done with Star Wars. Those that don't know, if you're if you aren't on Twitter, if you're not, you know, nerd pop culture like I am, uh, it was Star Wars. I think Star Wars Celebration today, and I just I watched like a bunch of trailers. I saw that they're like talking about more movies, and I'm just like I could not care less. And I feel weird about it. I just don't want to see any more of that, of the sequel trilogy. Oh, well. <laughs> I, I thought I heard there were going to be an extension to that. Yeah, I no, could there be is. wrong. No, there is. But, ugh. I just, I, like, I, and, and I love Star Wars growing up. I still partially do. I'm just, I'm so worn out by Disney's iter- like, it's interpretation. It's a That's basically what it is. I mean, it is. It's like with Marvel. It, Look it how is. many Marvel movies yeah, they've made. But like, I still love Marvel. Like Even the bad ones, I leave with a smile no, on my face. If going, you're going to love Marvel for how many movies they've made, you cannot say the same thing about Star Wars. I will not allow it. Well, no, I, Here's my thing with Star Wars. Like, Do you like hear Marvel, what Jeremy said no, this what morning? He, oh, what did he say? Oh, he, no. well, you know, a lot of people were saying that like the, the prequels you know, he says the prequels are bad, and I can agree with that. They're cinematic masterpieces. <laughs> I think it just it just it comes back to you and I because that's what we grew up with. That's oh, yeah, why, absolutely. That's why I think they're so good. The first movie I vividly remember seeing in theaters is Revenge of the Sith in 05. I mean, like that's I what, that's don't know if I was allowed to see it as a kid. That's I vividly remember that day. But it's just I'm like I'm so worn out by Star Wars. I you know to to a certain extent I'm I'm worn out with Marvel as well, but like I'm just like every Star Wars project I see now, I'm like, I like this is it feels like there was no editing. It just feels like this is the first draft and they're like, I just throw it in, just see what happens. I'm watching The Mandalorian on Disney Plus. I'm not really having a blast with that. It wasn't because Jack Black and Lizzo were in it. I just don't really get why, you know, Din Djarin and Baby Yoda are still in it. I just don't get it. I feel like, I, like they're not even characters anymore. 
Oh, I'm I'm glad I did that today. I just I've been having that feeling sitting in my stomach all day, and I'm like, I've got to say something. Had to say something. Glad I did. We're going to take a quick time out. We're still taking your calls at 803-0550. I want to talk a little draft when we come back, but we're still taking your calls at 803-0550. On the Sabres, how do you feel the season is going so far? I mean, we got about five games left. Playoffs look to be very much out of reach. They can actually officially be eliminated tomorrow. And, of course, on the Bills as well. No One Bills Live today as we get ready for Easter break. I'm Zach Jones, and you're listening to WGR.